Welcome to the very first episode of See Something, Say Something with Brandon and Monica, myself, Carson, and we're going to be talking about the second installment of the Cornetto trilogy, Hot Fuzz. The hottest cop on the force. He never taken a shortcut before. Just got a new partner from the makers of Shaun of the Dead. Get us back to the station now! Get ready. I'm gonna bust this thing wide open. For hot crime. Well, she got Crockett and Tabby. Skip marks. Hot action. That was brilliant. Hot heat. Don't worry, he knows what he's doing. Hot fuzz. Brandon, Monica, welcome. Thank you for being guests on See Something, Say Something. Thank you. Have either of you ever had a Cornetto? Yes. I don't know what that is. And if I'm perfectly honest, they're kind of terrible. <laughs> All right. So is it like, is it just gas station ice cream? Yeah. I mean, it's overly sweet in my opinion. <laughs> oh, no, these are delicious. These are phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just Google what a Cornetto yes, is? Yes, I love them. They are a treat. <laughs> I love it. It's like basically kind of what they were eating in the car. Like, yes, from the shop. It's it's like yes. in that world. That's right. So have you seen um, Shaun of the Dead, the movie that preceded this one, Brandon? And have you seen The World's End? Yes. Um, I've recently seen World's End. Shaun of the Dead is too scary for me. So I've seen it once and only remember the girl in the garden scene. And that's it. <laughs> so did you know until just this minute that they're all connected by that ice cream tree? No, no. So yeah, the people, fans, it's not officially, it's not overt, but they're, they're referred to as the Cornetto trilogy. In each movie, one of the characters or multiple ones will eat one of those treats, but they're different flavors in each movie. So this is the blue one, correct? That's right. I don't know what blue flavor is, but it's... <laughs> yeah, right? Like, is that boysenberry? <laughs> Shaun of the Dead was red. And World's End was green mint. When did they have it at World's End? I don't remember that part. No clue. Okay. I saw World's End in the theater and enjoyed it, but not nearly as much as the first two movies. Same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like Simon Pegg playing bad guy or sort of like unlikable guy. That's not what I, I don't show up to see Simon Pegg be unlikable. (laughs) I show up for Simon Pegg to save the day, damn it. But you know what? Until we just talked, I didn't get the significance of the colors. Red for Shaun of the Dead makes sense. Blue yeah. for the cop movie right. makes yeah. sense, even though we have no idea what blue flavor is. I think and it's... green mint, like World's End. What's the green for World's End? The, the demon? Aliens. Yeah, right. But they're yeah, blue. Yeah. Al- they're blue. They're, <laughs> their blood's blue. I just Googled it. So the, uh, the World's End one is at the very end of the movie. And it's really quick. Like, you could miss it if you don't. I think by then, they'd sort of been like, yeah, we got to get it in there. And they didn't want to, like, belabor the point, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about the trilogy. Let's sort of give a bit of the the setting for this film. It was the second in the trilogy. Shaun of the Dead did really well, but was not like a worldwide box office sensation or anything like that. This one... Uh, had a budget of 15 million bucks with box office receipts of 80 million. Wow. So it doubled Shaun of the Dead's take. And 80 million was also double what World's End made. World's End made like 45 million bucks. 
Um, the director and writer are the same for all three films. Edgar Wright directed and Sean, si sorry, Simon Pegg wrote the films with Edgar Wright. Um, and basically set up Edgar Wright to go sort of make similar movies with more famous casts, Scott Pilgrim, the Baby Driver movie, which I was one of the few people that was like, eh, don't really love it. Um, and launched Simon Pegg's career probably in America. Like some people might have known him from Spaced. Some people might have known him from other stuff. Yeah, like I had heard of Spaced and I got the DVDs from Netflix. Remember when they used to bring you DVDs? <laughs> and uh enjoyed the show but it was one of those things where i kind of like missed the zeitgeist of spaced you know people weren't talking about it at the office or anything so i didn't really dive into all of it um how did you find spaced monica i it is one of my favorite television shows i think it perfectly oh. capture it perfectly captures that era is it mid to late 90s it's like england? late yeah late 90s england like right there on the the cusp of the millennia did you live over there or anything? No, or like... no, but it was like they, they're referencing like raves. <laughs> and it's like, I think that also that, that age, that when you're in your 20s and it's like, it's like, you know what? It's the it's the goofy, nerdy friends. That's exactly right. It's, it's not Seinfeld. It's not no. friends. Do you remember, maybe this is showing my age, but there was a show called The Young Ones. Uh, that's a British comedy from the early to mid eighties. It sort of had that same feel of like these misfit toys that were smart and funny, yeah. but damaged. Right. And they all kind of came together <laughs> to, to lift each other up. <laughs> that's a perfect description. It's actually a pretty good description of space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they all have got some things that they need to work on, but they're happy enough. <laughs> the critical reception for uh, Hot Fuzz uh, all three movies in the Cornetto trilogy have above 90 on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Uh, it, it's the only movie of the trilogy that Roger Ebert doesn't have a review for that I could find. But Anthony Lane of The New Yorker said, The homage to action thrillers is there in the smallest detail. The clicking of a ballpoint pen, say, is amplified to sound as menacing as the cocking of a gun. Uh, meanwhile, behind the gags lie a number of digs at the strange dislocation of modern Britain, and anyone who still cleaves to a PBS view of the old country should be advised to seek counseling before entering the cinema. I mean, I just love that, like, I I was describing this as a parody of, like, action and a little bit of horror, but it's really a loving homage. Like, parody to me is, like, Scream, where they're just, like, making fun of all the things, where this is more like we're embracing all the things that we love and making our own movie out of it. I was definitely getting um, Zucker brother vibes from this. So like naked gun, which is, I think less slapstick, but there's certainly, you, got, you can kind of feel that influence. I get what you're saying, Monica, with uh, it's like slapstick, but almost smart slapstick. Like it isn't, it isn't because the like one quote that always sticks out to me is the monkey part where he's like, he's talking about me or the monkey. And he like pulls up the monkey off frame. Like, that's just, like, it's so clever. Like, it's so clever, but it's also, like, that was so dumb. But so clever, like, well-written. <laughs> but that that's, that was, like, to me, like, it's like an airplane. It's like, don't call me Shirley, yeah. right? There's a lot of lines like that. 
Like, I think my favorite line, one of my favorite lines was Simon Pegg is saying, your father is judge, jury, and executioner. And Nick Frost yeah. says, he's not judge, Judy, and executioner. Yeah. And I yeah, actually yeah. paused the film and started just like laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I almost fell yeah. out of my sofa. Yeah. He's Frank. He's appointing himself judge, jury, and executioner. He's not judge, Judy, and executioner. He is. It's, I mean, they have that whole thing with like the um, policeman officer or whatever, like, the things that Simon Pegg says that Nick Frost then like regurgitates <laughs> in this way that you've, you've heard it and you're like, okay. <laughs> but then later in the movie toward the end, there's like after that, like, so Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, Butterman and Angel have this like love story, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they both need each other for different reasons and come to rely on each other. And at the end, there's this heartfelt, like after spoilers, honestly, people, if you haven't seen the movie, just go watch the movie. But like after we find out that Butterman's dad is part of this murderous ring of the small town and he's trying to come to terms with that, he's crying in the street as like Simon Pegg, Nicholas Angel is like yelling at him, like, just realize that this is all your dad is doing this. We need to go find help. We need to tell people. Butterman turns to Angel's character and says, forget it, Nicholas. It's Sanford. And in Chinatown, when Jake when Jack Nicholson's character is finally coming to terms with all the crazy shit that's happening, the other cop says, just forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. Like that's, I think the last line of the movie. And that's not even an action movie, but he wants to throw it in there just to be another winking, knowing nod to his absolute love <laughs> of classic cinema. Yeah. Right. The most, the reason to watch the movie is all these little things, but the movie itself transcends all the little things. It becomes fun on its own. You know, like if it was just, ticking the boxes of like, well, in Point Break, they had this scene, so we need to have that scene. In mm -hmm. Bad Boys 2, they had this scene. So, but it's all motivated by the actual characters that are drawn out, which separates it as much as I love Airplane, as much as I love Naked Gun, as much as I love Kentucky Fried Movie, it elevates it above all of that stuff, right? Into something you can actually recommend to someone is like, oh, this is a good movie. You need to go see this. <laughs> I also think all of, the, all of the actors played the characters so straight that it didn't, it wasn't, it doesn't go, it never goes into slapstick. Yeah. They actually believe yeah. they're. <laughs> you feel like there's also like a plot and a motivation to these characters too. Like in some of the other movies, you, you're just here for a laugh, but in this one, you actually have something driving these characters to something. Which was also like a layer of Shaun of the Dead. Like honestly, Brandon, I hate scary movies. Hate, 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 but you gotta see Shaun of the Dead. So I've good. seen it. I've seen it, but zombies are my, I can't, like my worst fear. I can't do it. So I've seen it once and I'm like, that's it. Like I'm giggling, but I'm also crying on the inside because I'm so scared. <laughs> so I've seen it once. I can't do it again. Those zombies are too quick. They're too surprising. Like I appreciate the movie and I will highly recommend, but I can't watch it again. <laughs> but it's, that, I mean, the whole thing in that is like Simon is acting, not in his, is in the good of the, the nation or anything. He's just trying to win back his girlfriend at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> Who, by the way, I didn't realize until I was looking. That was played by Kate Blanchett, mm -hmm. uncredited. Well, so that's that's uh, yeah, that's part of the trivia that'll be a little bit later in the oh, show. But yeah, now that you, no, no, no. Now that you, now that you bring it up, there's there's multiple uncredited roles in this, and uh, I actually had to look. I was like, those eyes and that voice. So his girlfriend, uh, Janine, Jane. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, is uh, we only see her in the guise of a medical inspector, like a forensic inspector, <laughs> covered up 
in the the hottest trend of this season, uh, head to toe PPE. Uh, <laughs> That's and... right. I was watching with my neighbor. I was like, "What if this is us? Like, I could do this. We could be together again." <laughs> <laughs> and like. All you see are her piercing blue eyes and that voice of hers. And I'm like, that's somebody, that's somebody. I had to go to the internet to figure it out. Did you get it on your own, Monica? No, no, I had to look for it too. Cause I, I, I definitely recognized her voice. When you were on the internet looking at cameos, did you see another important one in there? The the man who played Father Christmas in the opening <laughs> credits, who stabbed yep. uh, who stabbed Nicholas Angel's hand is played by a famous film director. Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings. Oh, I don't think I know what Peter Jackson looks like. <laughs> well, that sort of brings me into like my first bit of categories, like the most rewatchable scenes. My one on the top is like the opening credits are textbook, like like how to make an action movie in 30 seconds. The opening credits of Nicholas Angel introducing himself, walking through his CV seeing all the moments of his career, I think it takes two minutes and you get everything you need to know about this character, except for his relationship with Janine. And honestly, you don't really need to know that much about him because that's not him. He is a policeman. Most rewatchable scenes, I've got a few others on the list. All the cameos in the police force, Martin Freeman, Steve Coogan, Bill Nye, all walking in back to back to back. <laughs> How's the hand? Uh, Nick Frost <laughs> barreling through the garden fences as they're trying to do oh, their first bit of like action so stuff. Good. Which so good. I didn't realize is something they put into every movie, every one of the Cornetto trilogy. Oh yeah, I guess yeah, that's in Shaun of the Dead too, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, the wall. I'm gonna have to running into a fence. when they go to Mr. Wembley's country estate to have the conversation about him cutting down all the hedges, the three of them. That are, that are as they're interrogating him, it's like, it's an Abbott and Costello bit. One guy has to translate for the other guy and then back to Nicholas Angel again. Right. What did he say? He said, edge is edge, huh? He only chopped him down because he couldn't see the view no more. What's he moaned though? What did he say? He said, an edge is an edge. He only chopped it down because it spoiled his view. What's Reaper moaning about? But then, like, the movie kind of goes a little fallow in the middle as they're trying to figure out what the actual mystery is, but then ramps back up to 11 when Nicholas Angel comes back to town to fuck shit up. That is, that is my most rewatchable one <laughs> scene. And there are so many scenes after that that are, like, little vignettes that are amazing, but that, to the end, is just, like, if you're flipping channels and you see him riding into town on that horse with those two amazing shotguns on his back. You're like, yes. yep, I think I'm in for this. That looks like wing angel wings. They're perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you know his, his character's name is taken from the music supervisor that worked on the film? The music supervisor is named Nick Angel. And I'm like, <laughs> how did they not figure it? So it's just absolutely perfect. But inside that little end, the, the, the last like 30 minutes or whatever, I only have two other notes. Olivia Coleman in the grocery. She doesn't have it. Like she's amazing and she's become much more amazing. And I had no idea who she was the first time that I saw this movie, but she has so little to do in the movie until then, except be sort of the town bicycle. Doris, Doris Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Doris has so many great moments inside the, inside the grocery. 
And then, of course, the homage to Point Break uh, of Nick Frost shooting the gun into the air as his dad runs away. Mm-hmm. What did you guys have any other to add to that? Any other mo- movie moments that stand out where you're like, if you're scanning through the channels and you come upon something, you're like, well, I got to watch this for 15 minutes. I think you covered them. I think you covered them for me. Cool. Well, I'm going to move on to best quotes. Top of my list, Yarp. Yeah. Yarp. Yarp? <laughs> what about you two? Any others? I love the, the doors part. Nothing wrong with a little girl on girl. Like That makes me so happy. <laughs> Olivia Coleman, like, so... Where did she start before all of this? Like, she must have been in British TV. She was, she was. in Broadchurch, I guess. But she I don't know if that was before or after this. Um, I think Broadchurch was after this. She was in a television show that I watched um, called The Rev, in which she played the wife of a reverend. I think around this time in her career, I think she was known uh, um, uh, as like a television actress. And now she's the funniest thing on the planet. Oh my gosh, she's in the favorite and winning <laughs> and in the queen and winning all kinds of awards. And hilarious in the process. Mm-hmm. Other best quotes, when's your birthday? Oh! 22nd of February. What year? Every year. Excuse me. What? When's your birthday? 22nd of February. What year? Every year. Get out. Hey! When's your birthday? Uh, 8th of May. 1969? You're 37. Yeah. Get out. When's your birthday? Uh, out. Probably can't let it go, but the greater good, which is yes. repeated. The greater good. The greater, the greater good. good. Why is that? So the greater good is basically like the town is so obsessed with being the nicest place on earth that they murder everyone, right? Yes, but you know, this is actually a, a, a real, not that, not the murdering part, but like <laughs> a winning, real problem. Winning, no, but winning, <laughs> winning like village of the year is a thing over there. Oh. I went, yes, I went, I can't remember what, what town I was in, but it was like the tidiest town in England. And I was like, they have plaques and win awards. And it's like the entire um, main street is covered in flowers. And it's like, I actually was creeped out by the whole city because it was a little too clean and a little too perfect. So I can see where, how that would have influenced this movie. I wonder if it's like a source of tourism revenue of like, well, we've got to go to Sanford. It's the nicest village on earth. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. So some half-assed internet research, this sort of dovetails nicely into that. The, did you know that the judges that come to town for to hand out the award for nicest village or whatever it is are played by uh, Frost and Peg's moms. Oh, and there's there's three of them, and there's a man in the middle, and the man is Peg's drama teacher from school. Oh my god, I love it. They don't have any lines, but you just sort of see them as they peel out of town, chasing Timothy Dalton. So Timothy Dalton. Good Bond, bad Bond, underrated Bond, dealt a hard deal because he had to replace Sean Connery and Roger Moore Bond. He's perfect for that era. He's the perfect Bond for that era of Bond, (laughs) to me. Yeah. I remember him being a disappointment as like a teenager because we had Sean Connery, who was the greatest. And then we had Roger Moore, who, as a kid, I didn't realize how bad he was. Right. (laughs) 
So I think Timothy Dalton got a bit of a raw deal there. Yeah. Um, some some more trivia compiled from the internet. We talked about the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, Monica knew exactly which one this was, the blue one. Mm-hmm. Simon Pegg says it's his favorite of all of his films. It's my favorite of all of his films, too. True. I think I agree. Agreed. Because yeah. it's like he's a badass, but he's also sensitive. Yeah. You know, it's all the Pegg things. You know, he's good in Mission Impossible, he's good in Star Trek, but those are just yeah. sort of like supporting roles. Yeah, I would agree it's his best. Um, he lost over two stone to play the role. Trivia, how much is two stone? Like 24 pounds? 40 pounds? 30 pounds. Six, 32. 28 pounds. Oh. I think a stone is 14 oh, 14, pounds. okay. Simon Pegg redubbed most of his lines from the second half of the movie to make his voice sound more like an 80s action hero. Oh, that makes sense because there are a few times where it, his it didn't sync up right. And he's he's in such a low register like that whole time that he like as soon as he rides back into town he's like all right I'm a different person. I it was kind of weird like he doesn't smile until like an hour into the movie, like when Frost takes him out to for a night out at the pub and finally gets him to laugh. It almost felt like a blooper. Mm. I thought it was intentional. Like it was when he finally like became a Sanford citizen. <laughs> That's right. But to me, it was just so, it, it was like ripping a bandaid off or something like, Oh my God, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> Here's one that I didn't see coming. Nicholas Angel had a love interest in the first draft of the script called Victoria. However, she was cut and most of her lines were given to Danny with little or no changes. Which lines? <laughs> Well, just so like he had a bunch of lines with his love interest and they were like, no, just give it to Danny and let them be the love interest. (laughs) I think it's kind of perfect. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is the, I think this is the one film of his where they feel the most together as friends. And I mean, Shaun of the Dead, they did feel like they had something, but it almost felt like two stoners in high school. Like this feels like they've had a long relationship and there's like a love interest in like when Danny, when he thinks Danny's evil, like I almost legit cry because he seems so devastated when you see Danny in like the unveiling of everyone in the hoods. So it makes sense that there was that love there. I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in full support. <laughs> I just want to be good at what I do. You are good at what you do. You just got to learn to switch off that big old melon of yours. That's the whole problem, Danny. I don't think I know how. I can show you how. John Spencer Blues Explosion. Someone wrote on the internet that that's uh, Edgar Wright's favorite band. And the song that that he put in there for all the paperwork stuff is called, like, Here Comes the Fuzz or something like that. (laughs) Um, so anytime I can hear John Spencer blues explosion for about a minute and a half makes it a good day. I can't (laughs) listen to them for longer than a minute and a half though. (laughs) Overacting award. Who chose the most scenery? I mean, it's an action movie parody, right? Yeah. So it's tough to really be like, Oh, they were too over the top because that's kind of what the roles call for. Uh, but I would have to give it to Timothy Dalton. That's unfair. (laughs) <laughs> unfair <laughs> that's what the role called for it 
but he's so good at he's so good at like sneering and preening his way through the second sure. half of this movie, right? Sure. I'm a slasher of prices. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> the uh, the that guy award. There's a few people that I've written down. Is there anyone that showed up where you're like, oh, them? You know what? I this was this was the first time I've watched this movie since probably 2008, somewhere in there. <laughs> Monica. <laughs> <laughs> since it came out, like I watched it. I actually bought the DVD, watched it probably again on DVD, and then never watched, and then put the DVD on a shelf and never watched it again. In your massive closet of DVDs that I Danny know. has. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think what I, so I was, I was watching, I was like, I didn't know Martin Freeman was in this. Like, I didn't, because I don't think I knew who Martin Freeman was at the time. You know, it was like, I didn't know Bill Nighy was in this. I didn't, you know, I didn't know Bill Bailey was in it. The guy who works the front, the front desk. Oh yeah. The, you mean the twins? The twins at the front desk. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't rec- I still don't recognize that guy. So he's he's in a couple of cult TV shows. One being Spaced, and the other being Black Books. Highly recommend both of them. Yeah, for my that guys, uh, the first one that stood out. I mean, Olivia Coldman has become a much bigger star since this movie came out. So fine. Paul Freeman plays the Reverend. He's Dr. Rene Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's the bad guy. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. He's the one that's that's trying to, to race Indiana for recovering the Ark for the Nazis. Who is he in the movie? I still when he when it at, at the end when it says fight I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like I don't remember seeing you throughout this whole thing. Who, the Reverend? <laughs> So he's the reference. Okay. No, no. I'm thinking of the, the re- old dude. There's the old dude with the cane who like breaks his hip. Not the reverend. That's right. The guy it, after the fight scene, he goes, my hip. Yeah. The guy with like the sword, the saber. I don't know who he is. So sorry. Not the reverend. The, the guy who was wearing the big overcoat. No, no. He goes down first. There's oh. another guy. <laughs> there's a lot of character. There's almost too many bad guys, right? Like I know that they kind of like wanted to have these red herrings and stuff like that but that's we'll get into that later with like the picking nits section but that would be like my one thing of like just get to the action Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and then jim broadbent for me was a guy that like i couldn't place until i went and looked at his uh imdb he plays the chief inspector butterman the dad maybe the ringleader of this whole thing and he's in one of my favorite movies of the last like 10 years since i became a dad paddington uh, and he's also in Bridget Jones, Moulin Rouge, Harry Potter, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah he's in a bunch of stuff. There's a, sh- there's a movie called The Borrowers from my generation that he was, like, the dad in. He's most memorable for me from that. <laughs> What's The Borrowers about? Is it, I like, fantasy stuff? or? So The Borrowers, they are little people who, like, live in your house and, like, borrow things. from. So, like, when you're, like, things go missing, like a thimble or, like, like string or whatever like you think you misplace something it's because they've taken it and like are make they're living in your floors basically and then they're like little elf people and like john goodman's in it um tom felton from uh harry potter draco malfoy he's like a baby in this movie so it's like yeah you need to, it's pretty good you should watch it i haven't watched it since i was in my teens maybe early adolescence but it was my first four way and four far a four a into this, this whole British thing. 
There's a lot of people from Harry Potter in this movie. <laughs> Harry Potter's like an industry that just lifted up so many Shakespearean actors yeah. into like, who wants a paycheck? That is true. There's a billion characters. Yeah. All right. So can I show the borrowers to my child? Is yes. it scary? No, it's made for children. Love it. Casting what ifs? I don't think, you know, like there's so many good people in this movie. I don't have anyone that's like, I mean, Nick Frost isn't my favorite. Fine. But he plays so well with Simon Pegg that like, how yeah. are you going to replace him with anybody? Exactly. Little things. Picking nits. So why doesn't the town put up a fuss when a bunch of teenagers go missing? <laughs> so at the end, when Simon Pegg's uncovering the like yeah. stack of bodies that these people have amassed in recent weeks, like, oh, there's nine teenage kids in there. <laughs> that might have been a problem to some of the town's parents. No. <laughs> the, Rome- the play of Romeo and Juliet is amazing. Bang! Is that a cardigan song? At yeah, the end? love me, love me, say that you love me. Yeah, it totally is. It's so good. But why is the lead of Romeo and Juliet a fifty-year-old man, other than he just gets to mac on Juliet the whole time? Well, yeah. I, I figured that was that was the yeah that was the point. Same. I just, I, you have to love community theater, right? It's just the best. <laughs> okay, here's my knit. What was the deal with the swan other than to give Stephen Merchant something to do? <laughs> he was, he was my thing, that guy. That's him. I, yes. When he's the swan guy, I'm like, oh my God, that's that guy. Yes. Yeah. Stephen Merchant. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Staker. Peter Ian Staker. That's his name. <laughs> Yeah, the swan is just there to send the car careening into the little village at the end, right? Yeah. No, the swan stops the, he hits the tree. The swan saves the day. I mean, he stops the dad from getting away. That's right. And that yeah. that shot, that wide shot of the car slowly headed toward head-on collision with the tree is straight out of the movie Sideways, too, which I don't know which one came first. But I just love a locked off wide shot of tragedy about to happen. Like there's something about that, especially in an action movie that's cut so tight and fast and Michael Bayish and Bruckheimer all the way through. And then you just have this one quiet moment of a swan killing the chief baddie <laughs> at the very end. <laughs> okay, mine it from that same scene. Aaron Aaron's. What do you have to do with this entire movie, little ginger kid? Like what is that? <laughs> It was what, just... what was the line that, t- that Timothy Dalton had? Like, not one the, more step, or the fuck nut, or the ginger the, nut gets it. Yeah, the little ginger nut gets it. <laughs> like really funny, but I'm like, whose child is this? Is there some kind of intertwining of something here? No, it was. It was something they were referencing a line earlier in the movie about the. Do you want me to like call everyone in the phone book? We can start with Aaron Aaron's. Or something oh, that. Oh! <laughs> wow, such a good call out, Monica. Monica! Wow. Okay. I, I talked about my, my nits with the, the red herrings. There's something from the internet research that says that. Uh, so the. Uh, you know, 
when Angel confronts Skinner, Timothy Dalton's character for the first time, he lists his motive as, as involving a land ownership scheme involving most of the victims, which Tim Messenger had uncovered the scheme. And originally that red herring was a far bigger subplot in earlier scripts, but, but many scenes of Angel investigating the victims to come up with that motive for the death, but that was never meant to be more than a red herring, and it was felt that it padded the movie too much, and so most of the scenes were cut in editing, reducing the plot with a quick montage of Angel uh, decrypting Tim Messenger's typos when he's like in the library circling all that stuff, and yeah. a speech Leslie Tiller gives to Angel shortly before her death uh, in the in the garden shop. And so that left it to feel like Angel sort of came up with the reasons Skinner killed so many people out of nowhere, right? So I guess it was like this, it's a two hour movie, but they probably cut like 10 or 15 minutes out that was just nothing but him investigating all that stuff. And I can't, I have to applaud them for that, even if it made it a bit disjointed, because I felt the two hours of this, again, there were probably 20 minutes there in the middle where he's uncovering all the plot where I'm like, we can get to the ass kicking again. Let's just wrap it back up. <laughs> All right, I have one. I have one last question. Yeah. About Hot Fuzz, how do you feel about the um, the way he names his characters to foreshadow or not foreshadow? Well, I mean, if I believe the internet, Nick Angel is like taken from somebody who's working in <laughs> on the movie, which is weird. Um, so on, um, I think as maybe Amazon, I think, but they have the general trivia. So every now and then, I would pause it and like read through. So all the characters' names in the towns, they are given their job titles as their last name in the movie. So like Porter was the woman who worked in the bar, like Thatcher. So all of their last names are actual career paths. Which is a super British thing. But yeah, like Smith is blacksmith. If yeah. you were a blacksmith, then like yeah. your last name is Smith, right? Because there was no such thing as originality in olden times. Sure. Oh, see, um, I just right. got Leslie Tiller. She was the one who worked in the garden shop. What's the uh, exp Inspector Butterman? <laughs> oh, they just ate a, a lot of cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He was the sweets. Like, all his punishments were, like, baked goods. Exactly. It was basically a great British baking The Black show. Forest Gato. <laughs> Gato. <laughs> Is this the best movie that any of these actors ever did? Simon Pegg, we already talked about. It's probably our favorite for him. Timothy Dalton's probably got some better stuff in there. Yeah. Olivia Coleman has some better stuff. Olivia Coleman's got some statues <laughs> that say she's done better things. Yeah. Martin Freeman, too. <laughs> yeah. Is it the best Edgar Wright movie? Ooh! That's hard. I might have I... to go with Scott Pilgrim on that. Or I'd say Scott Pilgrim or <sighs> Shaun of the Dead would give it a good competition. I'm gonna... So I watched Hot Fuzz and followed it with Scott Pilgrim because I was having an Edgar Wright um i think i could continuously watch hot fuzz more often than scott pilgrim like i like the scott pilgrim movie a lot and i love comic books and i love all this but hot fuzz is just it's the comedy so quick and everything's just so funny i don't think scott pilgrim has as much of that dramatic irony kind of a thing like scott pilgrim's really funny um but i think hot fuzz it feels like a more mature movie that's like better for me i'm gonna say yes my favorite edgar wright yeah same think, it's 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 i think yeah for all the same reasons oh also scott pilgrim is a comic book so i, I give less credit to edgar wright like yes he he did bring it to life but like that wasn't original 
I think I'd also rather spend, I would much rather spend two hours with Simon Pegg in my face than Michael Sarah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. 1,000%. Yes. Yes. Cool. And I think Shaun of the Dead's up there, but I'm with you and I don't like um, zombies. So I don't want to watch that over and over again. (laughs) Well, we're almost near the end, but I think like, there's two questions. What age the best? What age the worst? I think what age the best? Like there's that nice little coda of anti-sexism at the very end, like that Simon Pegg has sort of been preaching through protocol throughout the thing. But somebody says like policewoman and he's like, well, it's actually police officer. And, and yeah, like that's, I feel like that's a bit ahead of its time. What age the worst? I can't really, th- like nothing really stood out as like, Ooh, I don't think we can do that anymore. It was interesting, first of all, that we're watching a police movie given this time, right? And, like, it was an interesting flip that the police are, were good, some of them. Like, yes, the, the captain was evil, but, like, the police officers were well-intended and good-hearted. I mean, it was the townspeople that were actually horrible. So I think that was an interesting flip given this. Um, the one that didn't age well, I don't think I saw a single person of color or, like, a single Asian person, a single something in the entire movie and like maybe it's some small English town but like those England has been around forever and they have so many people from India so many like Pakistan people like so much more than just white people (laughs) yeah a hundred percent you're right like it's a small English town but there would be a you know someone of African descent some of Indian descent someone from somewhere else Yeah. yeah yeah they should be in there somewhere yes uh Monica did you have anything age the best age the worst I'm actually feeling like, and <clears throat> I love Edgar Wright, and I love his, his movie-making style, but I'm actually wondering if his, the kind of quick-cut, sort of fast-paced uh, action scenes, the way he does them, with all the little, you know, pen-clicking sounds in between things, the sound of, like, money and things, you know what I mean? There's all those mm-hmm. little, like, the, the audio, sound design. the sound design, and the way everything's been quick cut together i'm wondering if that's not really aged very well yeah it was very of a time with like born identity bad boys michael bay michael bruckheimer um tony scott like a lot of their film styles are used as the pillars the foundation for this kind of film and the shots of like going 360 around the two heroes after they've dispatched all the villains (laughs) in the town square like i think that's cool but the during that whole fight scene, I was like, "Oh God, you gotta like let one of these shots last longer than ten frames." Yes, you know, like it's just it's assaultive to the senses <laughs> well, after a while. I was like, "Okay, it seemed like fine for the time, but like it's like he did that. He did a similar thing in um, Shaun of the Dead." I feel mm-hmm. like Scott Pilgrim was very similar. Baby Driver totally. was very similar. <laughs> it's like there's yeah. that just the way it's like his thing, his shtick, right? Yes. Yeah, and you can sort of see the seams a little bit of like, oh, they shot it like this so they could only use 10 frames of it because then you would see the barrels are actually rolling past the guy, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. Um, If if you sit and really give a critical eye to it. But yeah, I think like it's hard to watch movies like that. Like I think we're used to sort of different action these days, Mm -hmm. maybe. Oh, his soundtracks. Like, Edgar Wright's choice in music for all of his movies, impeccable. Like, throughout all the movies he's done, the soundtracks, I think, last. They're so good, so perfect in this, like, almost rock and roll kind of a vibe. Like, love it. 
to me, that was the only good part of Baby Driver. Right? <laughs> it's like the music. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's got good taste, and like, like, I mean, like that's the thing. It's like he's he's using his influences to remake movie. It's almost Tarantino esque. Like I watched all these movies. I'm going to take the bits that I want out of them and make my own movie. And part of that is music too, right? Yep. Who comes out of this movie looking the best? What's the enduring legacy champion? Does I mean, Peg win again? I Danny, think Peg right? wins again. Danny? Da- I'm going with Danny only because I feel, I mean, both of them, but I think Danny has kind of grown the most. Like, he was basically a three-year-old when he first met him. <laughs> you know, he was like, you know, he was, like, drinking and driving. He was drawing flip books of, like, shooting someone. Like, have you shot someone? And their head exploded. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? You are a grown-ass man who's a police officer. So, like, I think he's kind of grown a little bit more, you know, he, he, grew, he gained his independence from his father, he kind of came to terms with the mom dying, like, yes, Simon Pegg grew a lot and, and, like, kind of discovered himself outside the force, but I also give credit to Danny. He became Danny's father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's, a, there's an internet rumor that Wright is working on a sequel for this movie. No, and- no. Timothy Dalton's character didn't die. He just really had a bad accident with a steeple. Um, Yeah. I want some ice cream. Yeah, the ice cream. (laughs) I mean, but did you expect his character to die? I thought the character survived. You saw him in good health getting gurneyed away. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Timothy Dalton could be around again. I'm guessing Nick Angel is still running the town. Um, maybe something comes up where Dalton turns good and helps people. No, he's probably in jail. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the sequel could be. Yeah, the uh, the townspeople all murdered people. I don't think they're getting out of jail unless they like escape. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe he moves back to London, right? Maybe London's in such a state of disarray that they need top <laughs> cop. <laughs> I mean, they did ask him to come back. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure it's a standing invitation. <laughs> Life in Sanford looked pretty good, though. As someone who has a steady diet of British television before he goes to bed. Yeah. Uh, escape to the country, pole dark, etc. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> that's a whole different discussion. But I don't think I'd Do you want to know why I'm watching a I... bodice ripper? Yes! <laughs> because my wife has the TV remote. <laughs> and damn it, he glistens in the sunshine. <laughs> and there's a comely young lass that his beck and call. <laughs> but Escape to the Country is one of the greatest shows there ever was. I got a VPN just so I can have the BBC iPlayer and watch more and more episodes of Escape to the Country. It's, if you don't know what it is, it's HGTV, except, you know, Doris and Neville have been living in Hackney and need to find a way to get out of their flat. And so they move to Devon on Somerset on Trent so that they can grow flowers. So every single episode is like these middle-aged folks that are like, they've raised a family and now the children are off at university. <laughs> Yeah, just (laughs) all that. It's the greatest. You have to check it out. (laughs) The dulcet tones of Escape to the Country. (laughs) Well, I feel like this has been a tremendous success. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
I loved it. Hopefully you will reappear as guests on a future show. Maybe we can do another one of uh, Mr. Wright's magnum opuses. But uh, this has been a tremendous amount of fun. I thank you both for coming on and maybe getting out of your comfort zone a tad bit and not relying on me so that there was actual interaction. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for hosting. Yeah. All right. Until we meet again. Yes.